Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Uh, yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, hopefully everyone's enjoying the summer. Um, yeah, we, we have uh, two wonderful children who we love so, so much, but they've been away this week with their grandparents and it's been wonderful. We took ourselves off to York yesterday for 24 hours um, and we went up the York Minster Tower and that's very scary. Would recommend though, would recommend, very nice city. Um, so it's been lovely, but yes, we're looking forward to having them back this week. Um, so yes, uh, our passage this morning begins at the end of chapter one of James. So it's James 1, 27 uh, through to 2, 13. So it starts at the end of chapter one, moves into chapter two of the book of James, and we're going to focus on three points that James is making in this part of the letter to us. Okay, so which are, take care of the vulnerable, show no favoritism, mercy triumphs over judgment. So let's take a look at what he says. The reading this morning, we're going to take it from James 1, 27 to 2, 13, um, and it starts like this. So religion that our God, our God, our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. On the 7th of July, 2015, our lives changed dramatically. At around two in the morning, uh, we received a phone call saying that Eleanor's sister, Eleanor is my wife, if you don't know her, um, her sister had died in her early 20s with a whole life ahead of her. Most of the day is a bit of a blur. In fact, most of the weeks and the months afterwards are a blur for us as a family. But one distinctive factor sticks out for me. Community. Our church family. That morning, a friend of ours from the church took a, took a day of emergency annual leave and drove us and our very small children down to London to be with the family. He went out of his way to stay with us as long as he could to make sure we had everything we needed. After being in London for a couple of weeks, we returned to a fridge full of food, uh, a house that had been cleaned. Our community had gathered round us to support us in wonderfully practical ways. 
at the end of chapter one, James compels his audience to look after widows and orphans. Now, what have widows and orphans both experienced? Extreme loss. Not only loss of a loved one, but at the time that this was written, and in the society that they would have lost uh, a future, they'd have lost security, they'd have lost an input into that society. James describes the looking after of these vulnerable groups as pure religion. What we experience in our community is exactly that, sacrificial care for the vulnerable. This flies in the face of what the world would want us to believe. You do you, look after number one, are the heart attitudes that our culture is constantly discipling us in with the empty promise that this leads to ultimate satisfaction. But James here is saying, look outside yourselves. See where the opportunities to bless others are. Look for the community and take care of the vulnerable members of your church family. He next goes on to speak about favoritism. Show no favoritism. How you treat others, particularly those in society at large, uh, who society at large scorn and exclude, is a great demonstration of out, the outworking of your faith. In the prayer between Jesus and his heavenly father, captured in John 17, he said that the love his disciples show each other is how they will be known as his followers. And in Luke 10, Jesus uses the story of the Good Samaritan to point out that we are to love our neighbour as ourselves, no matter how much those around us might despise that person. Essentially, uh, self-sacrificial, radically inclusive love is an outward sign of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Practising care of the vulnerable is a vital aspect of faith. James then goes on in chapter 2 verses two to four, to admonish, admonish favoritism. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. We are asking for God's kingdom to come to earth, not our kingdom to be built. This means asking God to bring his rule and reign in our lives, our churches and the world that has been devastated by sin. It's a restoration of the natural order of things. We have become so accustomed to poverty and all the barriers marginalised people face that we can lose sight of the original design God had for his people, that we should live in harmony and without lack or loneliness. Your kingdom come is both a heart cry for the promised not yet of the kingdom to arrive now and an action plan for God's people to put into motion the practical ways now. Showing no favoritism flies in the face of sin and brokenness which build barriers that separate the people our society may prefer to overlook and forget and instead brings God's kingdom and reign into the here and now. We want as many people as possible to hear and know of the love of God. The kingdom is open to all and so should our doors and our hearts that is why it is so important to not show favoritism. I find it really helpful, uh, especially just James in general, is very clear, uh, but James provides clear, practical uh, examples. So he says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and you say, 
here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Very, very clear. Now, in today's culture, uh, we wouldn't be telling people where to sit in quite the same way. Well, I certainly hope uh, <laughs> it would genuinely be considered unacceptable to tell a visitor in the church to sit at your feet. If you are doing that, please stop. Um, <laughs> but we do still show the same attitude in, our, um, in other ways. I've seen other preachers uh, try to reenact this by sitting outside their church dressed in tatty old clothes, disguised as maybe a rust sleeper who would help, um, trying to find out who would help them, maybe invite them into church. Um, and then when they don't get invited into church, they march down the aisle, casting off the tatty outer layers, reveal themselves to be the preacher. I considered, I considered. Um, I don't think anyone would notice if they were outside. Um, so it makes a clear point about how we do have the tendency to blinker some people from our vision, um, even if it might be a bit unfair on the congregation of that church, but it's important that we have our eyes open. Instead, here's another way of, of viewing this in today's context. So, say someone pulled up to the church in a Rolls-Royce Phantom 5, stepped out, I'm going to try this one, uh, in an Ermenegilio Zegner bespoke suit. I googled it, handmade, uh, costing £22,000. Um, they took out their Cartier purse, uh, dropped in a wad of cash as an offering, obviously claiming on the gift aid as a taxpayer. Um, are we supposed to treat that person with more dignity than someone who works into church, clearly with nothing to give, and looking like they might have spent too many nights under the stars, maybe a half-drunk can of Stella in their pocket. Perhaps this doesn't happen to us regularly, but what are the status symbols that we do see all around us that send subliminal messages that the person with them is somehow more worthy of our respect and our attention? This doesn't ha even have to be the obvious influence of the materialistic culture all around us. Your mind may have jumped to people with the latest iPhone model, or when someone talks about expensive holidays that most people can't afford. But we equally should not be treating a person who has, for example, spiritual gifts that, send out, uh, that stand out to us more than those of others in the church with greater reference. James wants us to avoid becoming judges ourselves. God is the ultimate judge. The kingdom, God's family, is for everyone. Favoritism can be very hard to distinguish. It's a heart posture that we do need to bring to God. Ask him, God, are you leading me to this person? Am I speaking to them, giving them opportunities because they are a loved child of God or because I like their jumper or their music taste or their political views that align with mine or some other reason? The truth is, everyone discriminates to some degree, for one reason or another, even if not maliciously. We all have preferences, and I think it would be unrealistic to think that we could fully live in a way that was never influenced by these in our subconscious. In this life, we will always be on a journey of deeper self-discovery and increased realisation of our true identity as a new creation in Jesus. But from reading this passage in James, we can be prompted to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts regularly and be open to learning from him or from our brothers and sisters in Christ that we have been operating from this heart posture and be willing to take 
direct action to correct these behaviours once they come to our conscious attention. James 2, verse 5, has echoes of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31, in which he clearly shows us where we all stand before God. It says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus and who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. No one may boast before the Lord. The foolish, weak, lonely and despised are who God chooses. And we see that clearly through lots of parts in the Bible. Those who are materially poor can be so rich in spirit and faith. Verse five from, the passage, uh, from James's passage says, God chose the poor to be rich in faith. They can have riches beyond our imagination. It may seem that God chooses the poor over the rich, but the point I think James is trying to make here is that we all have something to learn from those who are poor. A few years ago, uh, just before we had our first child, we had no permanent home for a short while. Because Eleanor was heavily pregnant, we had to leave the uh, international students' home that we were staying in. Um, but we weren't yet able to move into our rental accommodation that we had lined up. So once again, uh, our community stepped in and we had wonderful friends who let us stay with them for a few weeks between homes. Even that, when we could move into the flat, it was an absolute dive. Uh, if you knew us back then, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> um, at the time, uh, Ellen and I had almost no money. We were both students. We lived off, lived off Eleanor's nursery bursary. Uh, nursery? Nursing bursary. Um, this was uh, a flat that we lived in that had no heating, no hot running water, um, a hole in the wall that pigeons could get through, um, a very questionable set of electrics, um, but we were very happy. Spiritually, we were, we were. Spiritually, we had to rely, uh, really lean into God and the church family he had put around us. And we were recently reflecting um, on this, uh, this time with some friends. And in that awful flat, we had some real moments of deep connection with God through prayer and through worship, um, during our not so small group meetings, who our small group were very gracious and they came and met in our flat, which was, they were wonderful people. Um, but that's all we had, you know, our little family, fellowship and our big God. A whole lot of love that outshone, outshone the dinginess of our crumbly surroundings. And I often look back to that time uh, to learn from past me how to go through current difficulties I may now face, as well as to remind myself of how much I have to be grateful for and how faithful God always is. I learned in that time that we have nothing to bring before God but he gives everything to us. In verse six, 
James looks particularly at the believers in the church who are well off. We give a lot of our attention to the rich and successful people. We look up to them in the hope that maybe some of their success might rub off on us. But the horrible irony that James is pointing out in this passage is that in this church, they are, the, the church that James is talking to, they are precisely the ones who are causing harm to their church. They are taking them to court, causing lots of distress among the church. And because of their wealth, they can afford to do that. James is saying, don't ignore the people who are considered of no value in the eyes of the world. He is saying, listen and learn from them. Become more like them, coming to God in poverty and open hands, ready to receive his grace. In the final verses of today's passage, we see James is giving clear direction in how God commands the church to love. Just as we see demonstrated through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, this culminates in mercy triumphing over judgment. In verse eight, we see James quoting Jesus when he explained that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. James calls this the royal law given by the king. If we live by love, favoritism dies, and mercy wins out. The command to love your neighbor originally comes from Leviticus. The people of Israel were commanded after everything they've gone through, the trials, the oppression, they are commanded to love one another and love others. This has been understood in quite an insular way, but Jesus realigns our perspective of who our neighbour is through the story of the Good Samaritan, in which he demonstrates that all people are worthy of and able to give the love of God through concrete, caring actions. It's easy for us to love people like ourselves because we see ourselves in them. The problem comes when we have to love someone who isn't like me. We no longer see the same level of humanity sometimes. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 to see himself in the poor, the imprisoned, the hungry. If we stop looking for ourselves in particular individuals and start seeking to see the image of God in everyone, we cannot tolerate favoritism and it becomes much harder to judge others harshly. James gives us a stark message in verse 11. To fail at one part of the law means you are guilty of breaking it all. And it feels quite harsh. What do you mean? I might have done this or that, but those are the minor slip-ups compared to what other people have done, right? But Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. You cannot be excused from murder because you explained to the judge that you didn't steal a car. It wouldn't make sense. James is highlighting this to the reader. He says, um, if you show favoritism and judge or look down on others, you are at risk of breaking the whole of God's law. That's why it's so important to show no favoritism and to have mercy on one another as Christ has mercy on us. How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity, says Psalm 133 verse one. What a beautiful goal to aim for instead It's a joy to be part of a a welcoming and kind church like this. Let's continue in this vein with that goal in mind. Finally, we reach verse 12. Thank God for his mercy. We need God's mercy. 
we are utterly lost without it. Ultimately, James is saying here that there will be judgment. If we've experienced the mercy of God who doesn't judge us as we deserve, we absolutely must show mercy to others. Leading with mercy and grace and all of the good things God has shown us helps us to become less judgmental. If our first thought is a judgment based on our prejudices, fears, or comparison, or our pride and misguided understanding of our own righteousness, all of these reactions are rooted in sin. We will start to see others in a very different way from what God intended. We will see them with a sin-first mindset. If our first thought about a person is that they are loved and can be forgiven and they can be shown mercy, then that shapes all of our subsequent interactions with them. That way, we can really live out what James is telling us as his audience to do. God shows mercy on us. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who live, believe in him shall not die but have eternal life. Everything was taken from Christ for our sake. He was treated as the lowest and the least treated as a criminal, subjected to undeserved, fear-driven hatred to ultimately be murdered. He showed such mercy in the face of such distress. His mercy triumphed over judgment. The evidence in our lives of the mercy first shown to us by God is that we, in turn, show mercy to others. Let's try to live that way as a people who have been shown such mercy and such grace that it, it bubbles up out of us as we worship him through our daily lives. As we come into the presence of the Lord daily, may we be fully reminded of the mercy shown to us as it triumphs over judgment. As we show mercy, we will point people towards the love of Christ. So this morning, uh, we have looked at how James teaches us to take care of the vulnerable, show no favoritism, and how mercy triumphs over judgment. And really, all three of these boil down to us understanding how much mercy God has had on each of us. The fact that without Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we would all be without hope. But because of what he has done for us, we are hidden in his righteousness and covered by his grace. Through this lens, showing favoritism and judging others becomes so much harder, while taking care of those in need around us is a natural overflow of a thankful and forgiven heart. Can I invite the band to come back up? We're just going to move into a time of uh, worship and time of ministry. And I just want to kind of frame um, the worship time. I think it'd be really good to come to God with the understanding that we've been shown mercy and to be thinking about times when, you know, we should have been maybe treated in a different way, but actually how can we understand and, and live in that mercy and what can we show and just kind of check out with God. Um, where are we maybe showing favoritism to certain people? Can we expand that and expand um, kind of who we are speaking to and who we are kind of being friends with in the church? So just want to take that opportunity. I'll hand over to the band. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. 
More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.